0: The following message was recorded in a main session at Celebration Midwest 2012, a New Frontiers USA conference. If you would like more information about the New Frontiers family of churches, please visit our website at newfrontiersusa.org. I want to speak to you this morning from Romans and chapter 12 and the opening couple of verses. I felt God really put this on my heart this last few days and uh, we're going to speak together. On this passage, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Don't get conformed to this world, but be transformed. By the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all that we've been saying to you in our songs, all the things that, Lord, you've ignited in our hearts, things we love to say to you. We love to sing out to you. We thank you for brothers and sisters to our right and our left with their hands raised, their hearts lifted. We thank you we're not alone. We thank you we're in your church, in your family, in your army. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of your beloved son. Lord, we're so grateful. We are so grateful. And Father, we, we just need you we confess our need of you right now that we might hear you we might sense your voice in our inner man that we might each one father i pray sense my heavenly father is speaking to me god penetrate our hearts with your word do us good we pray strengthen us with your word cut us loose by your word transform us from one degree of glory to another by your word come on us holy spirit Do us good, we do pray. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So you notice that the first word in the reading was therefore. I would like to say that Christianity is a therefore religion. It's a religion that has truth that has already been explained by Paul in chapter after chapter after chapter, which calls for a response We being responders, Christians are responders to what God has already done. We tend to think, What have I got to do? You find that recurring question in the New Testament. You find that the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? We find that on the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached the gospel, these thousands shouted out, What must we do? We find that when Paul is in Philippi and God has broken through with great power, earthquake, phenomenal, impact, the presence of God, the guy shouts out, what must we do? What must we do? That's what we tend to think, that to be a religious person, to be a Christian, surely the stuff we, we have to do, something we have to perform, other religions are like that, the stuff you have to do. If you're a Hindu, you want to go to the Ganges, thousands uh, surround that river. and On the appointed day, thousands plunge into the Ganges. Dangerous place to be because people are plunging in because well, that's what you have to do. Or if you're a Muslim, you need to get to Mecca sometime in your life. You need to to do this. You've got to do this. If you do this stuff, you need to build up some points. You need to do stuff that keeps God happy. There's things you need to do. But we as believers, it's not so much what we do, it's how we respond to what God has already done. And so our passage starts with therefore. We haven't got time to go through 11 chapters, but he has spent 11 chapters telling us all that God has done. It's only now. He says now, in response to what God has done, here's what you should do. In the light of what he calls the mercies of God. It doesn't say the mercy of God, it's a kind of a... Hebraism, it's a Jewish way of talking, the mercies. Of course, they are multiplied mercies. If you think of the book of Romans, just quickly to rush through some of the things it says. It tells us at the beginning, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 1 is a terrible description of the human race, the terrible plight we're in. But then as you go through, it tells about the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, what God did in Christ, how God came and rescued us. He redeemed us. He set us free. His blood has covered us, washed us, made us acceptable. The mercy of God has made us acceptable. We've been forgiven freely as a gift. We've been declared righteous by God. What the Bible calls justified, that's a, a legal word. God says, and no one is higher than God, I justify you freely as a gift by grace. It's all free. God has declared us, who are in Christ, to be holy. God made him, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. As we heard that wonderful word from Brian last night about the woman who found that she got strength, but he lost strength. It's like her blood stopped flowing. Why? Because his blood flowed and flowed and flowed. He's made a way for us to be accepted. The cross is the answer. Paul spells it all out. We have the abundance of grace, the free gift of righteousness. There's no condemnation. He piles up mercy upon mercy. There's no condemnation for us. God has perfected us for all time. When I wake up this morning, hallelujah, no condemnation. When I wake up tomorrow morning, I already know no condemnation tomorrow or any other morning he has perfected us for all time isn't it wonderful what god has done no condemnation we're discharged from the law we're no longer under the law we're singing that old hymn to a modern song yesterday or earlier rather about uh, how the law scared the life out of us but jesus blood needs a few more chat a few more verses that hymn, just to celebrate the wonder of what god has done in setting us free from the horrors of the law, because we've been discharged. We're no longer under law. Oh, the mercies of God. We've been adopted as children. We're not just forgiven by a judge. It's like the judge says, I'm not only forgive you, come home with me. You're my son now. And because you're a son, I give you the spirit of my son in your heart, crying, Abba, Father. It gets better and better. The mercies of God, forgiven, We're far from God. He says, come in. I I declare you righteous. I adopt you into my family. You're not only legally adopted. I put the spirit of my son in your heart. So you cry out, Father. You feel at home. The mercies of God. And not only that, he tells us in Romans 8, yeah, there's tough times, suffering, but there's joy in suffering. And he says this, everything works together for good. How many more mercies do we need? We are high and rich in mercies. The mercies of God, he piles on one after another. And then he says, ultimately, eternal glory. All this is pointing towards new heavens, new earth, new bodies. It's outstanding. Just chapter after chapter of the mercies of God. Romans is a magnificent, magnificent book. And he set up the mercies of God. And so Paul comes to this turning point. It's important to see that there is a turning point in the epistles. Very often, there's a kind of therefore verse. You find it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, in view of all that God has done, you need to see what your response should be. And sometimes we kind of oversimplify that. Sometimes we just say, so let go and let God. And that's not what the Bible says. It says something more specific. It tells us how... To respond in view of all that God has done, eleven chapters of what God has done. Now here, here's a response. Here's how you are to respond. And notice what it says. It says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We start phrase by phrase. We to look at this. Present your bodies. Now I just want to notice how specific the Bible is. It says, present your bodies. Biblical Christianity is interested in your body. You see, often we will say, Lord, I give you my heart. Well, it's not like God isn't interested in your heart, but he wants, you, he wants where you live to be given to him. It's even possible, as the uh, revised English Bible says, we give you our very selves. That's how it translates this verse. But your very selves, mm-hmm. Uh, I give you my heart, mm-hmm. What do you do with your body? See, the Bible's interested in our bodies, not an abstract concept. And we can get, because we get abstract, we can kind of miss the point. I give you my heart. What does that mean? It's like you know, someone's got a dog, and the dog comes in the room, and the people say, Oh look, your dog really loves you. My dog really loves you. And then it bites you. <laughs> <laughs> And he says, oh, but my dog really loves you. You say, well, would you please tell his teeth that he loves me? You know, it's, it's not just that he's... No, no, what does he do with his body? What is he doing? Why is he biting my leg? <laughs> what are you doing with your bodies? And the Bible's interested. We present our bodies. It's very specific. And so you'll find phrases like this in the scripture. It says back in uh, Proverbs 6 and 17... Things God hates. Haughty eyes. Notice it doesn't say haughtiness. Haughty eyes. The way you look at people with your eyes. A lying tongue. Not just lying. God kind of says, no, it's your tongue. You're lying with it. Hands that shed innocent blood. Feet that run to evil. See, the Bible locates sin in the human frame. It doesn't float around. It says, what are you doing with your body, where you live, What you get up in the morning, that thing you live in? And so the response we give to the mercies of God is to present our bodies. Romans 6, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness be careful what you're doing with your body in fact here we come with this wonderful word present your body as a living sacrifice now the very word present is the kind of word you associate with sacrifices in the old testament it's a word as it were taken out from that religious context in the Old Testament where they presented their offerings. Present, you presented a lamb, you presented the goat, you presented a bull, you presented an offering. Now in the New Testament it's saying, present your body as a living sacrifice. Now this is a kind of radical thought and it's a, really it's an oxymoron. If you're familiar with that word, it's like words that don't belong together, like, you know, like a word like a great English summer. Or a great English steak, or an exciting game of cricket—you know, <laughs> it's, it's, these are oxymorons. You do don't, not don't—a living sacrifice. I mean, sacrifice by its identity is dead. It lived; it's now dead. It was yours; you earned it. It's gone. It was a living lamb. It's dead now. It's finished. It's all over. Now, Paul is saying, with the same degree of commitment that this lamb was living and was yours and no longer is alive and is dead, you present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Not that we're trying to atone with our sacrifice, Jesus has done that for us, but it's a response to what God has done. Paul is saying, look, in the light of all that's happened, in the light of all that God has done, the price that's been paid, now this is how you respond. Give your bodies to him as a living sacrifice. See, we tend to associate sacrifices with special occasion and special location. You take your lamb on a special day to a special place, to the temple. It's, it's kind of, it's in this package. And it's possible in the Old Testament to have your religion locked up in this lamb and this temple and this place and then you leave that and you walk out and do other stuff. Now Paul, saying, no, no, this is a new covenant. This is a new deal. We're not talking now about taking a lamb to a special place. We're saying, you, your life, your whole life is lived out like this, like a living sacrifice. Like there's that same kind of commitment that that lamb has made, now you make it, not on special days, not on a special place, but a lifestyle. In response to what God has done as a lifestyle, you present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, and it says, which is your spiritual worship, it says uh, in the translation, I lived, it's not a very good translation, Where's the spiritual worship, you think, well I just thought we did spiritual worship. You know, we sang, didn't we? We clapped, we raised our hands. Isn't that spiritual worship? Well, the the word worship in the Bible is a very big word. And certainly what we've just been doing is worshiping in the spirit. I believe that. I believe we've been doing that. I feel my heart's been doing that. But the Bible has a bigger concept. And actually the word translated spiritual, you may have a different translation in the Bible you use The Greek word is logikos, from which we get our word logical. Some have translated it rational. Gordon Fee says we should translate it worship that makes sense. In the light of everything he's done, in the light of the price that was paid, in the light of the blood that was shed, it's logical. It makes sense. It's rational. The a sense in which Old Testament suffering, lambs that went not knowing what was happening to them, bulls that were slaughtered with no sense of giving permission. There was no sense of their volunteering for that. It wasn't logical for them. Now we're in a new covenant. For us, with our eyes open, we see what Jesus has done and we logically, rationally, it makes sense, give ourselves back to God. It's your logical way of responding to all that God has done for us. Worship, that makes sense. Elsewhere, Paul says this, if one died, then all are dead. So that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. Again, Romans 6, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Again, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. Do you glorify God in your body? Jesus said this, if your eye offends you, tear it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. There's a kind of ruthlessness here. It's like... Wow, what does that mean? That, that means you never get to do it again. Those sort of sins you used to do, you you don't play with it anymore. You never you never get to do it again. It died. It's finished. I remember once being in a meeting with PJ Smythe. I know many of you know PJ. He's building a great church in Johannesburg. It was uh, kind of younger guys and girls and... He said, young guys, I want you to stand. And young guys stood. He said, put your hands on your chest. And they put their hands on their chest. He said, say after me, until I am married, this is the only chest my hands are going on. (laughs) Repentance means you never get to do it again. It's like you cut it off. You cut your hands off. You present your body to God. Holy, acceptable worship. You're ruthlessly, you're like a sacrifice. It's ruthless. That thing doesn't live anymore. It's dead. Take it away now. And God is looking for that kind of devotion, dedication, that kind of delight in him, that kind of no, no, no. I, he has won my heart. He's redeemed me. He has done something that demands my, not my, just my heart, In the way we can say that sentimentally. I give you my heart, but with my hands I do other stuff. Now I give my hands. I give my feet, where I take myself. I give my tongue. See, the Bible's interested. What do you do with your tongue? It says in James, it's a very powerful weapon. Do you still gossip? Do you find it easy? Sometimes people say things, Christians say things, I think, did you get permission from the Holy Spirit to say that? People write on blogs and things, you think, did the Holy Spirit give you permission to say that? Do you live with any sense that these belong to God now? Are you free to do that? Are you free to just pass stuff on? Are you free just to be critical? How do you do that? Is your tongue not given over? Is it easy? How do you do that? I don't know how you do that. If we've come to God and said, Lord, no, it's yours now. See, it will make you be slow to speak. It says in Romans, as a result of this encounter, every mouth is closed. Lloyd-Jones says that's the mark of the Christian, his mouth is closed. See, from now on, God's not even interested in your humble opinion. <laughs> See, we, we, realize, we realize Jesus died because we're a mess. And so we don't quickly resurrect that mess and get on with it. We're more diligent. No, no, I gave it to God. I'm going to be very careful what I say. Very careful. That's how people get into leadership, beloved. You begin to say, when that guy speaks, he doesn't mess around. What he says, he lives by. See, you begin to, not every believer should be like that. But elders are, It says from Timothy, you look for guys who are really living this out. They're living it, true. They're being that. Their bodies, they are surrendered. They're not messing around. So Paul is saying, now come on, let's give our bodies to God. You're not your own. You're not free. What do you do with your eyes? What do you look at when no one's looking? You got permission for that? No, we give our eyes. I remember the first pastor I ever knew, I was saved from a non-Christian background, and uh, I was just on my own. My parents were not Christian. I went to a a Baptist church, and the, the pastor was a beautiful man. And he gave testimony, I once heard him speak of it, that he was just drifting as a young pastor, not seeing much happen. And God arrested him, actually, with this passage, about present your bodies. And he said he took about three to five days in prayer, as far as he knew how, he gave his body to God. He prayed about his hands. He prayed about his feet. He prayed about his tongue. He prayed he, As far as he knew how, he gave himself to God. His ministry was just magnificent from that time on. It just grew and grew and grew. It had a huge influence. It affected my life profoundly. He had a time of giving his body. He met, see, see, not just I give you my heart, but specifically... Have you ever done that? Ever thought of doing that? See, the Bible's encouraging us. Give our bodies to Him. Give ourselves to Him. Now, let's just go on through this verse. So, first of all, He wants to know what we're doing with our bodies. That's the first thing in response to all that God has done. All the way He makes everything work together for good for us, he makes us righteous, as a gift, assures us of eternal heaven and glory. In view of that, come on, what are we doing with our bodies? And the second thing, he says, now don't be conformed to this world. Don't be squeezed into this mold, as J.B. Phillips translates it. Don't let the world squeeze you. I remember the very first time I went to China, it was during the season still where communism was prevailing, and every person I saw had a Mao suit. You couldn't tell. It was men or women. They all had navy blue Mao suits, hats, jackets. I mean, just every, every person you saw looked identical. We talk about conforms. That's conformity that's forced on a culture. And they carried their little red books. I mean, it's incredible to be able to do that to a whole nation, a vast nation like that. They all wore the same. That's the way the Greeks tended to work, not so much with clothing, but they would take over a nation and then impose their culture. They were bringing the theater, they were bringing the games, the gymnasium. They were bringing all, all that. they imposed their culture. And the Hebrews hated the way they did that. And that's the way the Greeks conquered nation after nation. They imposed their culture upon them. They said, this is how you live. Uh, we want to make you all uh, like Greeks, this great empire that Alexander the Great established. They imposed their culture. Now, for us, it's not so much an imposed culture as a kind of copycat thing in us that makes us want to let the culture shape us. There's a strange thing about us that doesn't like to be out of step. And we can be shaped by a culture that doesn't know God. So the power of a culture, it's TV, it's movies, it's music, it's literature, it's humor, it's fashion, it's possessions. The culture can shape you. And Paul is saying, now come on, God's done this breathtaking thing on us. So be careful you don't let the culture shape you. It's possible for the culture to shape you. And it's possible for us as believers, and especially, to be honest, when you've got all the grace thing in your spirit, when you're no longer living with this rigorous fear of laws. No, we're we're under grace. If you're not careful, knowing you're under grace, you can become a bit sloppy and let the culture start shaping you. And you kind of forget, what is shaping the culture? Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians in chapter 4, he says this, the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. We're going to come on in a moment to talk about the renewing of the mind. Now, the culture is in the futility of their mind. They don't believe there's a God. They don't believe you're going to meet God one day. They don't think that's true. The culture it says it's darkened in its understanding. It's excluded from the life of God. Ephesians 4.18, because of the ignorance in them, because of the hardness of their heart. They've become callous, given themselves to a sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. So Paul's giving this brief description of the culture. It's ignorant of God. It doesn't know God. And so it's darkened. They've been affected by it. There's an ignorance in them. There's a hardness of heart. Now that's affecting the culture. That's that's producing the culture. Now Paul is saying, be careful, because you've, you've escaped. I've told you all these mercies of God, you've got one foot in heaven. You're already partakers of the divine nature. You're already drinking of the age to come. You've got one foot in heaven. Your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. The darkness is almost gone. Days at hand. We've got one day, one step into heaven. We're getting ready to meet Jesus. We've been singing Matt Reman's great song, When Our Time Is Ended, comes pretty quick. And we're ready to go. A thousand, a thousand years still to praise. But careful that while you're in this culture... Don't let it shape you. It's like, listen to yourself sometimes, like, can't wait for the next Batman movie. Can't wait for the next Bond movie. Can't wait for the... What do you mean, can't wait for? What do you mean? What can happen is, if you're not careful, this culture, which is darkened, without understanding ignorant, increasingly callous, given over to increasingly to licentiousness. We live in this world. We're in this world. God has left us here. We didn't want you to get saved, go straight to glory. We're here. But it's possible without realizing it to find you're being shaped by it. It's beginning to get you and shape the way you think. So what am I saying? You're saying, Terry okay, so don't be conformed to this world be conformed to our world I really want to press home this point that is not what I'm saying and sadly that's what a lot of religious people would think the Bible says don't be conformed to that world be conformed to this world and we'll tell you what it is you don't wear that you don't put your hair like that, you don't go there, you don't touch that, you don't taste this, you don't and, and Paul is saying, no, no, it's not like that. See that you see, sometimes even since we've been here, we've seen some Amish people on the road. And I don't really know anything about the Amish, I just know they look different to us. And somehow it's there's a kind of embracing of or imposition of not, not that culture, this culture. Not that world, this world. Be conformed. No, no, no. The Bible doesn't say, don't be conformed to this, be conformed to that. It's that. In fact, Paul fights that battle. Paul is furious with that kind of approach. He says in Colossians in chapter 2, where he's encountering that, where believers who started free for freedom, Christ has set you free, he argues in Galatians. But in Colossians 2, he says, don't let anybody take you captive. Don't let anybody take you captive through empty deception, elementary principles of the world. Verse 16, don't let anyone act as your judge, ESV, past judgment, in regard to food or drink or festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are just a shadow of what's to come. Don't let anyone keep defrauding you. Don't submit to those who say, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, which all refer to things that are perish with the use. These matters have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion, he calls it, self-abasement, severe treatment of the body, they're of no value. So Paul is saying, listen, Don't get conformed. Be careful, beloved. Be careful. We live in a culture where certain things are cool and certain things are not. You ought to own certain things. You haven't got one. Oh, I see. And that car, wow. You can can feel, I need to get into the, I won't be accepted. If you haven't had this revelation we'll come on to in a moment of, of God's grace, it matters a lot to you to be accepted to be accepted by the culture, to be accepted by your non-Christian relatives, your neighbours, the people at work. And so you can, out of a longing to be accepted, you say, I'll conform, I'll conform. You may not say that out loud, but you do it. You don't do the uncool things or things are regarded as out of step with the culture. You allow the culture to shape you. Now, Paul is not saying, don't let the culture shape you, let me shape you. Let me shape you. We had problems in our New Frontiers churches in India a decade or more ago now, probably 15 years back. And I I suddenly encountered it when I was in a a certain church, and I was with the elders, and they uh, they began to ask me questions, and the questions were so specific, so prescribed. Are we allowed to? These were elders. These were the leaders. Terry, would you say at elders' meeting, are you allowed to do this? And I'm, I'm thinking, what are they wanting from me? I they expecting expect him to say, no, that's in, that you can do that at an elders' meeting, you mustn't do that at an elders' meeting. What, what are they waiting for? As I heard, I thought, what is going on here? And I began to unravel a frightening legalism that was being imposed on the churches. See, there's a principles, and then principles can become prescribed ways of doing it you should be like this and this is the way you do it and don't you do that, you should do that, make sure you do that if you don't do that and so we begin to impose prescribed ways how you raise your kids whether you do it homeschool, whether you do that, whether you. this is the way you do it this is our way of doing it, you do it this way and you conform, if you don't conform we begin to regard you as not really in the movement You're on the edges because you're not conforming to our style, our pattern, our prescribed way. Paul doesn't say, don't be conformed to the world, be conformed to our style. He's going to say much more wonderful stuff than that. Don't be conformed to this world. What does he say? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Beloved, your mind must, needs to be involved. Some of us are a bit lazy. We don't use our minds a lot. You know, tell me what to do. Some people are happy to be under law, because at least you know where you are. Are you, that's in, that's out, okay. It doesn't bring you much joy, but you know where you are. We're saying, no, that's not the way. That is not New, Christ, New Testament Christianity. It just isn't. God wants you to become a son, a daughter. God wants you to know him as a child. Paul says crazy things like this. Try and find what is pleasing to the Lord. Could you please be more precise? (laughs) Try and find what is pleasing to the Lord. It's like knowing your father, isn't it? It's like knowing what does my father want. It's like a relationship. Try and find what pleases him. It's like a couple falling in love. What pleases her? What pleases him? This is is a different deal, beloved. And it gives such an explosion of excitement in the heart. Because it's not, well, what are the rules? The difference, some of us, we don't read the epistles. They're very difficult, the epistles. They're not. They're wonderful. But you have to get in there. You just need to get in there. See what what God's done. See the implications. See the repercussions. Work it out. We're supposed to love the Lord with all our minds. Some of us don't want to do that. We'll even just say, oh, come on. I'll come forward again. I'm not despising that. Please, I'm not despising. We may even say at the end, come forward. But you don't want to get into that kind of, every time they say, come forward, pray for me. What you mean? Oh, pray a blessing. God bless him. Thank you. <laughs> <Roy>. <laughs> the Bible says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Yeah. You've got to think. We've, gotta, we've, gotta, we've got a religion that you think about. You don't go and plunge yourself in the Ganges. You don't say, you know, 25 Hail Marys, 25 Our Fathers, go to visit Mecca. No, it's a life where you think and you appraise and you evaluate things that do and you live with your conscience alive to God. It's exciting. It's not slavish. Do this, don't do that. Oh, that's outside the line. Paul says, no, no, be transformed. The word is, the Greek word is metamorphosis. It's it's, it's used three times in the New Testament. It's it's, it's transfigured. It's translated. Same word. We go up into the mountain. We go up with Jesus. And they're in the mountain. And they're tired. And they're praying. And they're talking. And it says Jesus was transfigured before them. (laughs) And his face shone like the sun. And his clothing glistened. It wasn't like Moses, when Moses caught a kind of reflection of heaven and covered it over with the cloth. Here, the cloth itself shone. Jesus, just something of his majesty is shining out. He's transfigured before them. And Paul is saying here, look, be transfigured. Be—it's tr- the same word we would use. If you're thinking, you think of a caterpillar. It's a weird-looking creature. And it goes through a metamorphosis and becomes a stunning butterfly. That is the same word, a metamorphosis. Or dragonfly. I mean, when I saw close-ups of dragonfly bugs, I thought, that is one of the most ghastly things I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, caterpillar, at least you can think it's a nice caterpillar. I mean, dragonfly, I've never seen anything so gross. And then... It goes into this car and comes out. And you think, look at that dragonfly. Those wings, the color, the movement. You think, can that be that? Yeah, it's the same that. That used to be that. No, it's, it's transformed. It's wonderful, beloved, to see growth in people. Not simply because they've been to the school, they've taken notes, okay, i got that down, okay. I got, no, you just see them open, you see their spirit open. You see them change. You see their attitudes change. You see just the way they live. They just change. It's a wonderful miracle. That's what we're supposed to be. You change from the inside. You, You just keep on changing, as we'll see for in a moment. Because the third place in which it's spoken, it says, As we behold him with unveiled face. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 8, as we with unveiled face, it's comparing and contrasting Moses in the Old Testament, we had this veil he kept putting over his face, we with unveiled face, behold as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed, transfigured, metamorphosis, we're changing, as we behold him, We are being changed. I know some Bibles say reflect. It's not the right translation. It's we are changed as we behold him. It's like he's the mirror. In Corinth, they used to manufacture mirrors. They were famous for these uh, brazen mirrors. In those days, they didn't have mirrors like we have, but they would have very, very polished metal, and they would see uh, these reflections. They were famous for it in this city. And Paul is saying, look, no one's seen God at any time, but God sent forth his son, and we can see in him the glory of the Lord. We see in him the radiance of the Father, the express image of God. We know what God is like. He's exactly like Jesus. He's the exact image. And As we behold Jesus, as we gaze on him, as we gaze on him, we are subjects of a transforming influence. There's a transforming influence as we gaze on him. Sam Storms says, if you don't look, you won't change. As we gaze on him, as we look on him, we are we are being transformed. God is doing stuff on our... We are changed. There's a, there's a phenomenal thing that's happening within us. It's not just our outward change. It's in respect of our real being that we are changed, the transformation of our essential person. But even things you... When no one's looking, beloved, when no one's looking, the choices you start making, because you've changed. Your preferences have changed. Now, when you're born again, that happens, that you are given a new principle. It happens in a moment, the day you're born again, a new principle comes to birth in you. you. God takes away your old heart and gives you a new one. See, people still moan on about, "Oh, your heart's deceitful above all things." It says that in the Old Testament, but God says, "I'll give them a new heart." Yeah. Hallelujah! So He could me a new heart, and it's got His law written on it. And I put a new spirit within them. When the new birth is an awesome, breathtaking thing. It's not having another go. It's not taking up religion. It is a phenomenal, radical change in you. You are born again. <laughs> You've been born again. It's like, you. oh, I've just started being living. I've just started living. I've mean, been born again. Now you need to cultivate a relationship with that new person that you are within by keeping in fellowship with the Jesus. Keep looking at Jesus. Keep looking at Jesus. Keep gazing on him. And you will be changed. A transforming power is at work in you. God changes you. It's not because you've learned the rules. It is because there's a change in your inner heart. You, your appetite has changed. Your preferences change. You change. You used to scream at people. You don't anymore. You used to look at stuff when no one else was looking. You're on that top lid. You're looking at it. God, oh, look at that. No, you find I don't want that. I don't want that. Now you have to see the steps. You say, look, put to death the flesh. Give your body over, radical, put to death. Now also, relate to this life-imparting spirit. Jesus is a life-imparting spirit. We heard last night that wonderful word. I so loved it. She touched him. Life came out from him. Come on, keep touching him. Keep looking at him. Keep gazing on him. He changes us. That's why I love corporate worship. I love personal worship. I love gazing on him. And he changes us from the inside. Jonathan Edwards says this, God is glorified not only by his glory being seen, but by it being rejoiced in. When those who see it, delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. That we look on Jesus and we we spend time, beloved. We meditate on him, we reflect on him. Sometimes when I was singing a song, I was singing the grace of God upon my life the other day, I was singing it, the grace of God upon my I couldn't finish it, I was laughing so much. It is unending. It's unmerited. <laughs> I couldn't. I just laughing and laughing alone. I just laughing. I, I couldn't sing it. I couldn't finish the line. I'm, I'm looking on him. I'm enjoying him. I'm not learning a new conformity. I'm being transformed. I'm being changed. The church is a new creation. It's the butterfly. It's something wasn't there before. God has done something breathtaking in the church. It's not just a lot of do-gooders kill joys it's a lot of people who found joy these people are not drunk as you suppose in fact the bible makes this reckless comparison and and luke is not an enemy of the church when he says the church when it first burst on the scene people thought they were a load of drunks who wrote that about the church luke did he's not embarrassed he's not ashamed people thought they were drunk Then Paul makes the same comparison. He says, don't be filled with new wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. What what, what, is there some comparison? Yes, there is. I come from a seaside town, it's a student town. You can walk on a Saturday night, you see this crowd, you think they're drunk. Why do you think they're drunk? Well, they are. Why are they drunk? Why do you why do I think they're drunk? Because they're noisy, they're free, they're kind of happy. They're liberated. They're not themselves. I remember the office party when I used to work in town in London. In an office. You know, the Christmas office party was outrageous. I mean, people drank. And the next day you come into work and they think, did I really do that? Yes, you did. <laughs> you mean you mean on the table? On the table, yes. <laughs> and who brought the music in? I don't know. But you, on the... You, I did. Yes, you did. How come... I think you drank too much. (laughs) Don't be drunk with wine. That's escapism. Be filled with the Spirit. See, people get drunk because they're weary of life, bored. I used to get drunk because I was bored. Monday to Friday, life was so boring. I used to get drunk every weekend. But for escape, some people get drunk because they can't stand the pressure. Life's not boring, it's demanding. Some people get drunk to forget the past. They regret oh, terrible things. Are. See, drunkenness is an escape. Fullness of the Spirit is not escape. When the Spirit fills you, you know more fully what you already know. It's like, Jesus loves me. This I know. How? Of course, the Bible tells me so. <laughs> well, that's right. That's great. But when the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, You see, some things are mediated to us. They're mediated by the word. Like, I'm going to live forever. That makes me happy. I have been cleansed from all my sin. That makes me happy. There are things that are mediated to me by truth. So I think on truth and it makes me happy. But when the spirit comes, it's immediate. It just comes. You think, whoa! They were full of the Holy Spirit and joy. That's what it says. Even in suffering. Paul's in the inner prison. His back is bleeding. He's been persecuted. He's been thrown in prison. And they're singing. You think, who smuggled the booze in? (laughs) It's comparable. See, a lot of people out there who don't know God think that Christians are people who believe certain things and keep certain rules. That's all they think it is. They've never heard, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. They don't know that. We, beloved, mustn't get pulled back into that. We must be transfigured. I came across this testimony recently. I'll just quickly read. I'm nearly finished here. John Flavel, he was a Puritan. Now, Puritans get bad press, don't they? They're kind of miserable guys. People think the Puritans were. Well, listen to John Flavel. He says this. Ecstasy. It's a good word to start with. Ecstasy and delight are essential to the believer's soul. Essential. It's not like the cream on the cake. I'll have it without the cream, thank you. No, no. It's it's essential. And they promote sanctification. He knew a thing or two. They promote sanctification. We were not meant to be, we were not meant to live without spiritual exhilaration. We're not meant to live without it. And the Christian who goes for a long time without the experience of heartwarming will soon find himself tempted to have his emotional sat- emotions satisfied from earthly things. Then he says this very insightful thing. The soul is so constituted that it craves fulfillment from things outside itself. And will embrace earthly joys for satisfaction when it can't reach spiritual ones. See, God gave you a thirst. He made you thirsty. You're thirsty for experience, for joy, for happiness. He's saying if you don't have time with Jesus... If you don't know these eternal joys that you're looking forward to one day, if you're not consistent with that, you say, no, I've been delivered from the dominion of darkness. I'm going to live forever with Jesus. I'm going... But in the middle, I get caught up with this culture. And I can't wait for the next Batman movie. I can't wait for the next Bond movie. What can't you wait for? What's, What's that all about? You say, Terry, you're saying we're not allowed to go. No, I'm not saying you're not allowed to. I'm saying... Where's your heart? I'm saying, what really satisfies you? What gives you joy? And in that joy, yeah, you may say, well, oh, go see that as well. Because you know it's not where your heart is. Okay, I'm not drawing a line, I'm not saying you mustn't do that. I used to live like that. You're not allowed to do that. I got saved into that kind of. Then God set us free. But what captures your heart? And he goes on to say, the believer is in spiritual danger if he allows himself to go any length of time without tasting the love of Christ and savoring the felt comforts of the Savior's presence. Have you gone long without it? When did you last just feel joy in his presence? When did you just sit with him? Just to be in your presence, not rushing away, to cherish each moment. Here I would stay. This is my desire, oh Lord. <laughs> That's possible for us. See, when did that last happen? When did that happen last for you? And I don't just mean on Sundays when we gather. See, when, when there's no joy, when there's no bubbling up. Well, you're going to look for it. The soul's made that way. I need a distraction. And so what shall I do? Well, i look into this world that's been darkened in its understanding, excluded from the life of God, through the hardness in that. Uh, maybe they can satisfy me. But it's missing the point. Jeremiah says, my people have committed two evils. The forsaken me, the fountain of living water, have dug out holes that can't contain any water. He finishes with this when Christ ceases to fill the heart with satisfaction our souls will go in silent search for other lovers by enjoying the love of Christ in the heart of the believer I mean an experience of the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which has been given to us hallelujah Beloved, the churches are people who found life. Corporately, when people come in, they say, what is it about you people? What is going on here? Not just when you've got a great band, not just when the songs are great, but there's something about you people, corporate. Something about you. If you had time, you've gone through Romans 12, he says, then you may prove the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. You can't improve on perfect. Perfect is acceptable. You prove it. And then he goes on to talk about the body. How you find your life in the body. In the church. We are a people who have been set free. It has to be lived out in each of our lives. So let me close by letting remind you of this. In view of the mercies of God. The awesome, awesome mercies of God. I saw a picture in a magazine a few weeks ago and they found a heel in the Middle East. They found a heel, a bone and a a nail driven through it. This horrible, ugly, massive nail driven through this heel because the Romans crucified thousands of people. They just found this bone with it. And there was a photo of it. And I, I thought, God, it just made it so much more real. And I remember that scripture that says, he will crush your heel, but you will crush his head. For the price you paid, Jesus, your heel was bruised; his head was crushed. But for the mercies of God—we <laughs> live under the mercies of God. We're we're incredibly privileged people. So therefore, let's 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 offer our bodies. Will you do it? Say, so Lord, I I give you this tongue. It's yours. I I. I'm gonna be much more careful with what I do with it. I'm not gonna rush into making comments. I give it. There's certain things about this now, it's like it's dead. I'll never get to do that again. Certain things, I'll, I'll never get to do that again with my hand. I'll never, in this life, I'll never get to do that again. It's dead. It's dead. My older brother died and it hit me. I thought, his life is over. It's over, it's finished. That's the end of his life. And Paul is saying that that's the end. Just give it. And now live out that life. Live it out. It's a sacrifice. It's given to God. Don't be conformed. Don't let this world with all its blindness and ignorance stumbling along. Don't let them shape you. They don't know what life's about. Don't let that squeeze you in its mould. They don't even know. They're blind. They're hardened. They don't comprehend. Don't let that shape you. But don't let religious people conform you either. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Focus on Jesus. As we behold him, we are changed from one degree of glory to another. I've lived long enough to see that in so many people. I come back here from year to year, I see people, I think, He's changed. I remember he's a young guy, look at the stature. Look at, look at that, look at that. Yeah, you get changed from one degree of glory to another. Keep looking at Jesus, that he might be glorified. Ultimately, it says this, when we see him, we'll be like him. Even now, we're the children of God. But when he appears, we'll be like him. That final metamorphosis, that final seeing Everything changes. New bodies. Yes, God is interested in the body. The Greeks thought, oh, release from the body. That's nothing. It's the spirit. No, that's not the Bible. The Bible says, no, we're going to get new bodies. God's interested in your body. He's going to give you a new one. Hallelujah. Totally like him. The final transformation. Let's keep gazing. Let's stand to pray as we finish this session. Father, we thank you so much but all that Jesus has done we thank you for the price that he paid we thank you for the love he's poured out we thank you father for the mercies of God <laughs> breathtaking mercies sins forgiven no condemnation no longer under law all our steps ordered, everything working together for good, filled with the Spirit, sons of God, yes. going to glory. <laughs> Lord, thank you. thank you. These breathtaking mercies. Now, Father, I pray, let this word have its start working in our lives. Help us, Lord, present our bodies to you, living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to you. Let us not be conformed. Let us be transformed, changed by seeing you, Jesus. Let this word have its way in our hearts. Bless us in our individual lives. Bless us in our churches. Bless the churches we serve that we might live to the praise of God. We might be the joy of the whole earth. We might be like a city that can't be hid, because there's a dynamic life being lived among its people. Glorify your name, bless your word to us, we pray. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.